0: This is The Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, October 21st. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Judas. As the Senate prepares
1: to confirm Amy Coney Barrett next week, what lies ahead for the judge and mother of seven? What were some of the most outrageous and best parts of her Senate confirmation hearings? Carrie Seferino, president of the Judicial Crisis Network, joins
0: me today on The Daily Signal podcast to discuss... And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. A tie vote in the Supreme Court over the deadline for Pennsylvania's mail-in ballots means that mail-in votes will still be counted in the state through November 6. The Supreme Court voted 4-4 four four Monday on whether or not Pennsylvania ballots arriving by mail in the three days after the election should be counted or not. Since the vote was a tie in the High Court, the decision defaulted back to the ruling made by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court, which did rule in favor of Of the deadline extension. Any ballot mailed before the end of scheduled voting on November 3rd and delivered on or before November 6th will be counted in Pennsylvania. A poll released Tuesday from Gallup found that 51% of voters want Judge Amy
1: Barrett confirmed. The poll, taken from September 30th through October 15th, which started four days after President Trump nominated Barrett, was the 12th Supreme Court nominee for whom Gallup has measured support among the public since 1987, also found that support for Barrett's confirmation is higher than either of Trump's two previous nominees, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, had at any point in
0: time prior to their confirmations, per The Hill. On Tuesday, the Department of Justice filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google. The suit has been filed to stop Google from unlawfully maintaining monopolies through anti-competitive and exclusionary practices in the search and search advertising markets, according to a statement by the DOJ. Eleven different state attorneys general also signed the suit. Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, South Carolina, and Texas are all standing with the Department of Justice and accusing Google of holding illegal monopolies for general search services, search advertising, and general search text advertising. Google responded to the lawsuit on Tuesday, tweeting, Today's lawsuit by the Department of Justice is deeply flawed. People use Google because they choose to, not because they're forced to or because they can't find alternatives.
1: Senate Republicans are looking to confirm Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett next week, likely on Monday. The Senate Judiciary Committee is poised to vote on Judge Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation on Thursday, according to Republican Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Of the upcoming full Senate vote expected Monday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on the Senate floor, I look forward to the Judiciary Committee's vote on Thursday. The full Senate will turn to Judge Barrett's nomination as soon as it comes out of committee.
0: Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi told Bloomberg Television on Tuesday that she is optimistic about a stimulus package being passed soon. Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin have been working to find a deal that will satisfy both parties and provide the American people with the help they need. Pelosi said that Monday and Tuesday were focused on negotiating the language of the bill, which she told Bloomberg they have begun to write. It might not be finished by Election Day. We need our legislation all written by the end of this week, Pelosi said. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says the Senate will consider the bill if Pelosi and the Treasury Secretary reach an agreement, but he has not guaranteed a vote on the stimulus package.
1: Now stay tuned for my conversation with Carrie Severino looking back on Amy Barrett's confirmation hearings and what to expect as the Senate prepares to
0: vote next week. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? Every day, the Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. Webinar topics range from ethics during the COVID-19 pandemic to the CARES Act and the economy. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events.
1: We're joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Carrie Severino. She is the president of the Judicial Crisis Network. Carrie, it's great to have you back with us on the Daily Signal podcast. Great to be here. Well, last week, as most of the nation watched, Judge Amy Barrett faced three days of intense questioning. In some cases, the questions were a little bit condescending, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your perspective of those three days of questioning.
2: Yeah, it was. It was really impressive. I mean, I've wa- my whole career, I have been watching Supreme Court confirmations and, and judicial confirmations generally. And I don't know if I've ever seen one that was just as as clear a knock it out of the park uh, performance as Amy Coney Barrett delivered last week. She was poised, she was very patient, and boy, by, I was exhausted by the end of that first day of 11 hours or so of questioning. And when you keep on getting asked the same question, over and over and over again, and especially when it's questions you know you can't answer about, you know, how are you going to rule in a specific case or something, and yet she just kept coming back. And she, at the end of the day, even she had some complicated questions that were thrown at her. Some of them even by Republican senators. I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, give her a break. And yet she's still on, and she was really um, able to answer all of these and be up on all these different areas of law. Um, and I love the moment where she held up her her notepad and it was blank, and you saw, oh my gosh, she's doing this all without notes. It was very powerful. On the note of the questions,
1: I was wondering if there were any particular questions she received or some of the statements, because sometimes she was just spread like a very long pages and pages of statement. So if there's anything of those that stood out to you of, wow, like this was inappropriate, or that was a really good question, if there's any that really, you know, made you think that was noteworthy for one reason or another.
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that I thought was the kind of inappropriate was the, the focus of the questions from the Democrats on Uh, her policy positions. And they did this most notably with respect to Obamacare. And and for anyone who watched the hearing you saw, they all uh, would often take turns having posters behind them of a picture of someone, one of their constituents or something who had been helped by the Affordable Care Act. And constantly the implication throughout is, well, you don't care about these people because we know that you're committed to ruling against the Affordable Care Act, which is and as she as she i think did a good job of explaining later on in the day um is a fallacy on multiple levels first of all she's like i, it's, it's, I don't have any animus toward the affordable characters no like i think this is a horrible thing and i'm going to do everything in my power to get rid of it and second of all she had written at one point about the nfib versus um, Sibelius decision that that was the original Obamacare case that had to do with it, whether it's a tax or a penalty that that case. Um, and she criticized Justice Chief Justice Roberts, because he chose a, a interpretation of the statute that even he acknowledged wasn't a natural interpretation of the statute. And uh, she said, Well, if uh, even if I have said that, the question that the court is addressing this term, because they do have a case coming up about Obamacare, it's a different question. So unless you're trying to say, well, I, on a totally different question, we're going to rule against it just because I hate Obamacare. That, then, then your arguments don't, don't make sense. And they did that on a few different areas as well. They were asking her how she felt about global warming and how she, you know, all of these different topics. And you're going, well, that's, you know, this isn't, if you're, you're suggesting then that when she talks about her approach to the law, looking at what the text of the law says, looking at what the original meaning of the constitution is, that she's really just lying, that really what she's doing is trying to figure out what her policy is and then affecting that from the bench. But Ah, uh, that's really insulting to call her a liar in that prospect. and it's, it's also belied by her own uh, her own record, which is very clear that she has calls it like she sees it. She says she looks at what the law says, and this is why she has cases where, for example, she's ruled for and against the Trump administration, even though he he nominated her because that's that's what you do as a judge. You try to look at what the actual answers are. I thought one of my favorite parts of it were some of the moments of her personality coming through and getting a chance to talk about her family. There was one gotcha moment that I thought was really powerful that <laughs> um, one of the senators, I think it was Senator Durbin, I can't remember, from from the other side was saying, asked her what she thought about the George Floyd videos. And it seemed again, another of these kind of, that's not really relevant to what your job as a judge is, but okay, you know, she answered the question. And it was so, it was actually it brought me to tears here talking about watching this video with her daughter who is black and her, her, her husband and her and her sons were on a camping trip and how, how they cried together, how it, it has been a conversation that has been going on through their house since then and how, how trying to talk through what's going on and, and especially with her daughter who realizes that um, you know, l- looking at that man could see potentially her own uh, father, her own son, her own you know, some a, a man who looks like her in the same situation. So I think that was really um, I, I think intended as a maybe a gotcha question, but came off and showed her humanity in a real way, um, as well as the, the opportunity she had to respond uh, to some of the criticism that she'd had, uh, where she talked about how um, you know, attacks, for example, on her children's adoptions and how hurtful that was but how that was one of the things that when she and her husband prayed about whether to take this opportunity and and accept the nomination, um, that they recognized that there could be some of that. And unfortunately it could be people attacking her children or trying to hurt her personally, but that's challenge and the potential difficulty of the nomination wasn't a reason to say no when you had a job that's, it's gonna be difficult for whoever is put up for this position and how we should step up for public service when asked even in the face of difficulty. And we know that she has faced some of that difficulty in the process. Well, thank you for sharing that. Actually, my next one of my
1: next questions was going to be about health care and all the Obamacare questions she received. And I wanted to hear from you. Uh, so many of the senators basically phrased it as if you are not a confirmed people will basically die. And that's, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's a lot of what we heard over and over again. So I just wanted to ask you as someone who has followed this process and knows the procedure, is that appropriate um, when having these conversations?
2: Um, I think I think it's inappropriate because they're, a, if, a, a, again, they're, they're, they're not being uh, honest about what her own Positions even are. It's not even even as if she's taken a position on the case that that is addressing Obamacare. I, on top of which, as some of the Republican senators uh, pointed out, and Senator Chairman Graham, for example, the idea that overturning Obamacare and, and then people will die, and you want people to die, is is an absurd thing in and of itself. I mean, obviously, there was health care before Obamacare. There will be health care even if it, even if that law were changed or eliminated. But um, the idea that that people are taking. A, a position of her, even a caricatured position of hers, and then blowing it to the most rhetorically, you know, out out there statement. Unfortunately, that's not something that's new. I mean, I think the most uh, the most memorable opportunity that the, the Democrats did that was with Judge Bork, um, and that was that was uh, something that happened and, and really took a lot of people by surprise at the time because that was uh, not a common tactic at the time, but they went down and Senator Kennedy at the time went down a list of all of these issues. And they said, well, if if Bork is confirmed, there's going to be, you know, segregated lunch counters and women are going to be getting back alley abortions and policemen will be allowed to break into your house and drag you out in the middle of the night. And it it simply wasn't true. um, And it was and it was all more, you know, hyperbole than anything else. But unfortunately, a lot of that seemed to be very effective in caricaturing him at the time and and contributed to his uh, defeat. And I think now a lot of people are recognize that, oh, this isn't actually, you know, this is, this is all about politics, their statement, it really doesn't reflect what the actual nominee's uh, positions are, what her, what her positions were as a judge. And so I think that has been a little bit of the boy crying wolf here, where they keep on, every time there's a Republican nominee, there's some excuse to say, well, people are going to die, people are going to die. And you're like, guys, you say this every time. You, we have to recognize this is, this is not actually um, a, a reasonable uh, statement based on her record.
1: Well, two other uh, instances I wanted to ask you about. Uh, On one note, Senator Amy Klobuchar had told Barrett during her exchange with her one of the days of the hearing, she said, I might have thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. It was kind of an interesting exchange that they had. Uh, And then Senator Mazie Hirono, a Democrat uh, from Hawaii, had asked uh, Judge Barrett if she ever sexually assaulted someone. And so as someone who is a mom, you're a mom, you work in the law as well, uh, what was your perspective of those Two different exchanges. Given that uh, you do have a similar uh, life
2: pattern to Judge Barrett, uh, yeah, I, I I too caught that. Like side note, Senator Klobuchar is like, oh, some someone's a little bitter that she didn't make the Supreme Court list. Although who knows? I mean, maybe maybe she'll be uh, on Biden's list. Although I, th- I think he's at this point committed to, even though he won't tell us who's on this list, he's committed to putting a, uh, a woman of color on somehow. So maybe she maybe she's still bitter she's not making the list. I don't know. Um, Senator Hirono's question. Uh, was, I, I felt, felt like, you know, she, she look, she has this pattern of asking that question of every nominee. She asked it of Gorsuch, she asked it of Kavanaugh, but I think it's a really crude question. And it was particularly um, troubling to me because her children were in the room at the time she asked that question. I mean, this is not something you want to, and it, it, to have to explain to your kids of what's going on here. And my kids were watching much of these hearings. I thought it was a great opportunity to have a, a civic education moment for them but we shouldn't have to censor those moments for our children. And I, I, I do think it also, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty crude to effectively suggest that maybe she had been out there sexually assaulting people, uh, obviously not the case. And I think uh, she, was, she was very unambiguous, but I don't think anyone really took seriously the idea that she's a, uh, a sexual assailant. Um, but unfortunately, you know, making those kind of illusions is, not, uh, is nothing new in the digital confirmation process. Well, Carrie, you did a lot of work
1: covering and speaking about uh, now Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings. We all remember uh, what went down then. And I was curious to hear your thoughts on how uh, Judge Barrett's confirmation process has uh, maybe been similar, but also very different uh, from Justice Kavanaugh and uh, just your thoughts comparing the two.
2: Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons that it has been relatively, I mean, there's certainly been a lot of hostility, but that we haven't seen some of the explosions that we did during the Kavanaugh process is because some people even the left have recognized that how much that hurt them and particularly this close to an election. I think there are a lot of people who realized if they go um, for the jugular, effectively like they did with Kavanaugh, that that's something that most that Americans don't want to see. We don't want to have this turned into a partisan football and a, a, a smear campaign every time. I think it made it harder for them to do it because it was someone like Amy Coney Barrett. Obviously, a woman is harder to make um, allegations against as they did against Kavanaugh and, and Justice Thomas, recall. Uh, so this is that wasn't a new strategy either. Uh, But I think it was also uh, something where they had to recognize that some of the attacks that they had tried on her in the past, uh, the anti-Catholic attacks that Senator Feinstein and Senator Durbin launched at her last hearing, for example, and that Senator Harris is famous for using against other nominees, um, that's the kind of thing that that is going to look really bad. And in, in a moment where it's so close to an election, I think that may have forced them to pull back a little. At the same time, I was surprised to see that some people on the left or even trying to say that Senator Feinstein should be taken out of her position of leadership of the committee because she was too nice, which I think, gosh, guys, I think she's helping you. I think think the fact that she was cordial and civil during this process and that she's able to work with Chairman Graham on that committee... Should have been something that people should be celebrating and not view as somehow evidence of her mental decline, which is what they seem to be citing. Oh, you hugged Senator Graham; that must mean that you just don't have you don't have what it takes anymore. And uh, I, I I think actually the extent to which, even though there were crazy questions and there have been from a lot of the, particularly from the media, some really gross and and rude attacks on her uh, faith and her family, uh, the fact that Democrats didn't want to go there in public while they were on C-SPAN, while they were in the hearings, is a testament to the fact that they saw how harmful the Kavanaugh confirmation was to the nation. I have to say, though, I'm, I'm saying this almost with, um, you know, my fingers crossed here, because at this point, we are at the phase in this nomination that we were in the Kavanaugh nomination when those allegations exploded. So with Kavanaugh as well, there was a lot of hostility and opposition during his first hearing, but people afterwards recognized he had done an outstanding job. He had knocked out of the park. He was going to get confirmed. And that's when, out of a desperation move, um, some of these smear campaigns were launched. And so I think we can't count our chickens quite yet. And we have to just hold on. There's good the, Obviously, we've got scheduled a vote um, the floor um, coming up, and, uh, or first in the committee and then the floor. So things are moving along, but I don't think we can ever be sure uh, that there's not this last-ditch effort that's going to be launched until she's actually confirmed and over the finish line. Well, as you mentioned, uh, the
1: Senate Judiciary Committee will be voting on Thursday, and then the full Senate vote is expected next week, probably on Monday. Uh, What do you expect, and uh, do you think by midweek next week we could have a uh, Justice Amy Barrett?
2: Yeah. Again, barring barring something crazy happening, which is not you know not un, uh, unforeseen and not something that hasn't happened before, but assuming everything goes according to plan, I think we should have an Amy Coney Barrett. I think we absolutely have the votes, as even some uh, liberals have acknowledged. Uh, you know, if this were any other year, she would be overwhelmingly confirmed. And I, I I think not just that. I think she would have been uh, unanimously confirmed under different political circumstances. I think she's probably going to uh, get by with a bare partisan uh majority you know maybe you'll get people like joe manchin who's okay being the 52nd vote <laughs> in these cases but not really the 51st uh but but i think that's un- unfortunate because there used to be an era you know justice scalia was confirmed unanimously justice o'connor was confirmed unanimous justice ginsburg was confirmed virtually unanimously despite having a very clear record of working for the aclu having some opinions were well to the left um you know even at the time and and that's I think when we when you are confronted with a nominee who's qualified as a Judge Barrett is I think she ought to be getting a unanimous support but you know I think I think she'll certainly have enough to be seated and I think it'll be really exciting to have uh, the first originalist woman sitting on the court. Well, as we wrap up,
1: I wanted to get your perspective on what has happened in 2020, with so many lower court judges uh, continuing to be confirmed and how the Trump administration has worked on that to confirm those judges. Uh, What will be the impact there uh, in the long term?
2: Well, in some sense, we're already seeing it with with Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. She was one of those lower court judges, one of those 50-some appellate judges that this president has had confirmed in really, really um, historic numbers. To have that many in a a single term is is outstanding. What what that does to the courts is it it takes the appellate courts, where 99% of the cases are decided, and helps bring them back in line with the rule of law. These aren't judges who are just going to switch the courts from being run by liberal judicial activists to conservative judicial activists. These are judges who believe in following the rule of law as it is written. I remember speaking to one Trump appointee last year who said, it's a wonderful job but the most frustrating part is there's so many laws that are just really bad laws. Either bad laws because you disagree with them or bad laws because they were just, you know, the sausage is not is not always in a pretty product when the, when the congress gets writing a law, they don't do it they don't do it well. They they make mistakes or so they don't need to be they need to be updated. But you have to still decide cases according to those laws. And that means sometimes you come to results that you really don't like and you don't think are the results you would like to do. And that, while it can be frustrating for a judge, is the exact answer you want to hear. Those are the kind of judges you're going to have on the courts. they are going to be faithful to the rule of law. That means that when we find laws that we don't like, we actually, as the American people, have recourse to can have recourse to our elected officials. You can't do anything about a judge that's misinterpreting the law. But you can do something if the laws are badly written and you can change them through your elected representatives as the Constitution describes. And then, of course, all of these men and women who are on the courts now who have had already an impact in switching three circuits to be majority Republican appointees to have, have switched the, the Ninth Circuit, which is widely known as being one of the most frequently overturned, most most detached from anything that has to do with it. you know the text of what the law is very activist court now is very close to 50-50 judges republican and democrat appointees and now even though those republican appointees who weren't all uh, originalists or textualists before are much more uh, dominated by, uh, by some people who are going to be faithful to the words of the law. I think that's a huge win, not just for Republicans, not just for conservatives, but really for the nation as a whole. And these, of course, are the men and women who are going to be then future uh, Supreme Court justices one day that they're getting their experience and they're honing their judicial skills now, hopefully to move on to even higher office.
1: Well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us today on the Daily Single Podcast. It's always great having you good to be here. And that'll do it for today's
0: episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast. You can find The Daily Signal Podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you all tomorrow.
2: The Daily Signal Podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.